Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Back to the podcast, Dan. Let me ask you one of the hardest questions you're ever going to have to answer in your life. Sure. What's your favorite color? Red. What is your maiden? What's your mom's maiden name? You trying to get into my bank account? No, 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 no. That, I mean, but if you if you had a dog, what would what would your dog's name be? Cornelius. That's a good name. That's a fancy name. Fancy dog. <laughs> he's, a, he's a gentleman, that dog. So Dan, okay, maybe that's not the hardest question you've ever had to answer. But here's a question that people, all, all of us have to answer at some point. Last four of my social? I mean, if you just want to give me that. I could just you give you my ATM so code much time and trouble. what you're trying to get. Maybe you just give me all the digis. Sure. Okay. Okay, but the question that we all eventually have to answer as business peeps, as investors, is uh, how do you know when you're ready to scale? When is it, when is it right moment? Scale what? Scale your enterprise. Okay. Yeah, whatever that could be. Like. So assuming you are a, a real estate investor, you've acquired a property or two. Yeah. Let's let's look through the lens of maybe you you have a triplex or a quad. You started really small. Um, good for you. Kudos. And now you're like, okay, I got my feet wet. I understand. I've been managing this thing myself. Kind of you know living in the property. But how do you know when you're ready to like start scaling up to say a 10 unit or 20 unit? And when you hit that next threshold, like how do you know when you're ready to go to a hundred units? Do you know what I mean? I think I do know what you mean. So I can speak from personal experience because my intent from the get go is to scale as quickly as possible. And the way I did it was a six unit in year one. That was the only thing in year one. Then in year two, I got an eight unit a few months later, a 15 then a few months after that, five. Oh, so, so you went, went backwards. Through. You regressed. You're like, oh, I went too far. Got to go back. Well, that five unit just kind of popped up. Just kind of. So, they kind of just gave it to me. Um, fun fact: just about to wrap up a refi on that. Took it from four hundred thirteen thousand to seven hundred twenty. Holy moly! Not too shabby. It's pretty good. Yeah. Too bad mm-hmm. we can't get much of a cash on refi now with rates where they're at. But still, it's nice to so, know the money's there. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, off topic. Um, so for me, my intent was to scale as quickly as possible, and I probably scaled quicker than I should have. Hmm. But I think doing more than a double in a year is probably going to be a bit aggressive for most people, even if you're going from one property, like one quad to two quads. Um, that's probably doable, I guess. But I guess the main thing you want to have in place is the systems and processes. Because if you're struggling with one thing, you add another one on, whether it's one quad and then you have two or if you have one quad and you then get a 20 unit, if you don't have the systems and processes in place, it's just going to get infinitely worse and more stressful and yeah. probably implode. I agree that doubling every year is a pretty good size to, to aim for. In fact, that's about what we've done. 
That's what we've been, been doing. And I always felt like we're right on the edge of, of every time. Yeah. Like we're pushing it. It's doable, but I, I feel stretched, mm-hmm. but that's a good spot to be, I think. Yeah. It, but to your point about the, the systems, what's really interesting is if right now, wherever you are, if that's on a two unit, a 10 unit, a 20 unit, if you don't have your systems kind of identified right now, then you're going to have a very hard time making whatever jump that you're trying to make because almost always your system that got you here is not going to work to get you there. Mm -hmm. The system itself is, is going to break, but it's in having the system already there and then trying to fix that broken system. That's way easier than just kind of running roughshod through, through the whole game. And then realizing as you get to, to this point where it all just kind of spirals into chaos and then you, you really can't do anything to fix it at that point besides just pump the brakes, compromise all the growth, and then just try to like f- put the wheels back on this damn thing. Yeah, and I will say that we're talking about this uh, from the perspective of owner-operators who manage the properties themselves. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, for example, you've got a 100-unit apartment building. That's your one asset. And you have a third-party manager who's doing a great job with it. Assuming you can find the capital to get a second one of those, that's a much easier jump to make with a nice, large, um, uh, qualified property management company than it is to go out and find all the people to, to manage it yourself. That's that's something that that's going to be a little bit different. I think in this, this that's a good distinction because in this this scenario, we're presuming you're an owner operator up until at least a hundred units. I would say yeah. like you're you're kind of bootstrapping it, doing it on your own. And, and the reason for that is because in our experience, there's no such thing as a good third-party property manager. Sorry, if, guys. No such thing. Um, the ones that are okay are if you're dealing with really large complexes, right. they tend to be more professional, have better systems and better reporting. And overall, that's that's passable. But if you have a 20-unit and a 15-unit and a 10-unit and, and you've been kind of bootstrapping as you go, you're not going to find a good third-party manager to, to run those for you efficiently um, or, you know, in a way that's going to make you feel like your property is being maintained to mm-hmm. the highest level. Yeah. So we'll just kind of put that aside. This is all kind of based on you go out, you buy your first small property, you're doing everything yourself. You want to go get that second one. First thing I think we should say people look at is what are your systems and processes? got to have those. And then there's the the funding side. Like how do you actually go out get and the money. buy something twice as big? So you're probably going to have to raise some capital at some point unless you've just got money flowing in from somewhere like crazy. Yeah, the the, the caveat I'll say here is regardless of where you're going to get the capital, um, we can talk about like how to how to scale capital raising, but I think the more important thing is regardless of what you're jumping to next as you're scaling, you need to make sure that you have the ample capital reserves. And so if you're going to raise capital, that's that's good. That means you have access to the ability to put money into like CapEx and reserves and, and all that. Right. But if you don't want to go that route and you just want to do your own money, your own refinance and then keep rolling it forward, just fight the urge to pull the pull the trigger before you actually have enough. You know, you're like, oh, I, I could get into this next deal. I won't, I'll be a little bit thin on reserves, a little bit thin on CapEx. And in the very, 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 very beginning, presuming you don't already have a lot of assets and a lot to lose if you're young, let's say, sure, roll the dice. You can you can go a little bit thinner. Like you go back to zero, not a big deal because you weren't too far from zero to begin with. So you can afford to take that risk. But um, 
as you start getting further along, you need to make sure that you're not just jumping too soon into the next asset that you can't quite fund fully. Yeah, it's another good point because early on, <clears throat> you're going to be tempted because you, you, you want to get into the next deal really quickly. You're going to be tempted to do it as soon as you have enough cash to close on it. But another thing that you have to realize that's it's tough to um, come to terms with early on is that every single asset you add is going to increase the probability of some sort of unexpected thing that's going to pop up and cost you money that you weren't planning on having to spend money on. So that first asset, okay, you probably get through without any major issues. The second, third, by the time you get to, you know, 10 different buildings, whether they're quads or, or 10 units or whatever, there's going to be something. There's going to be a roof that caves in. There's going to be a fire. There's going to be uh, some some sort of issue. And that's never in the budget. So it's always best to be heavy on cash and you know take a little bit longer to get into a deal so that you can weather those storms as opposed to always being cash poor and asset rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't scale very well in the beginning because I remember doing the mental calculation on this and when I got that triplex where... I was like, okay, if I put about fifteen, twenty thousand aside for reserves, that's pretty good. Like that was a good rule of thumb that people were kind of suggesting in that size. But then as you add the next duplex or the next triplex, you might not need another twenty twenty-five for that building on its own. Maybe now you just put another ten and you kind of treat like one big large slush fund of now I have thirty-five, forty K kind of put aside. That seems to be like what the the bigger pockets crew was very much advocating. And I, and I think that that probably works up until the moment when it doesn't work. And I don't know what that threshold is where suddenly you're like, okay, now we need to start that, ha- having slightly different reserve situation. I think that can work for a very long time, actually. Mm. But the issue is uh, if you're just using your own capital, that's great. If you're raising money from investors, and don't do it that way. Yeah. Then, then you've, you're, you've got an issue there yep. because you know, whose money is that? Um, if it's all just your money and it's, you know, like some of these guys who buy properties from who've been buying them with their own money since the nineties, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, they have their own entities for each building and they keep their, their financials separate. But at the end of the day, if this building's got to pay for that building's roof, it's like, whatever, they're all by the same guy. Like that's fine. But if you're raising capital, no slush fund, don't do that. Yeah. And I would say if you, if you think in the beginning, there's any chance that you're going to raise capital in the future and that you're going to kind of go the more organized, professional, systematized route of having in-house managers that you hire and bring in, I would try and get away from that world as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, unless your goal is, I don't ever want to have partners, I'm cool, This is I'm just going to build my portfolio myself and have my own slush fund, then then that's probably an okay way. Yeah, it's tough to undo those, uh, those systems if they're in place early on. Mm-hmm. And then you start to effectively manage money for other people, you're going to have to go back and change a bunch of stuff. Cool. So I don't know if that answered the question, but I think we're at time. I think this was, you know, a yeah. Thing. Figure out your systems. That's the answer. To the That's question. the answer. Definitely. Um, figure out your systems. Make sure you have ample reserves. Those are the two things. If you have those two things in place, pull the trigger, make the jump. It'll never feel like the right time. That's that's a hundred percent true. I don't care how much money you have in reserve. I don't care how good your systems are. You're never gonna feel ready to make the jump uh, to two X. Yeah, kind of like having a kid. Yep. Yeah. Just got to get it out and. <laughs> you know, is that what they say? Just got to get it out. Get it out of there. <laughs> I don't know. Clearly, I don't have kids. So yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. So that's going to do it for us, everybody. We appreciate you taking uh, this time out of your day. That was my. Um, can't have it back. <laughs> you can't get it's over. No refunds. Sorry. No, no take backsies. So uh, if you enjoyed this, leave a review. If you didn't, 
don't. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.